0: Thursday, July 28th, 2011. This is gonna be a weird program for me. Not for you, but for me. I'll explain in a second. Yep, I'm going with that one. That one is in, that's in. Yeah, I'm really gonna try this. Oh man. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment. The goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and to help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is, a, well, a rash, a, a, a an invasion, um, uh, you know, an epidemic, if you would, of of really bad, really, really bad, bad, bad. Did I mention bad uh, teaching and preaching going on in the visible church today? Uh, (laughs) Because people are more caught up in their their, what they think are spirit-led ideas rather than what the biblical text says. And as a result of it, they keep running afoul of what God's Word teaches. And so we do the politically incorrect thing here, and we point it out. We try to have a little bit of fun along the way, and uh, yeah, we name names, we step on toes, and... At the end of it, it's all about whether or not your pastor is really preaching Christ and him crucified for your sins, or if he's caught up in the latest and greatest fad, which uh, they, they seem to lose their luster rather quickly. Um, now, I, I, at the opening of the program, I was talking about the fact that I was going to try something a little bit different. Um, one of the things uh, I do at here at Fighting for the Faith uh, in producing each and every program is that I try to come up with a unified theme For each edition of Fighting for the Faith. Now, I don't. I in fact rarely will I ever tell you what the theme is. Um, If you ask me privately, you know, um, Chris, you know, what what do you mean by these themes? If you were to ask me some of the nuts and bolts details, if you can pin me down at like a a restaurant or uh, when I'm out speaking at a conference or something like that, and yeah, I'll I'll tell you straight up where I do that. What I do, I don't actually uh, discuss all of the finer details in public, but. That's the. You know, there's a theme to all of them. Well, except for this one. <laughs> but now I I do remember early on. I've tried a few of what I called potpourri editions of Fighting for the Faith. That, I guess this is that. It's uh, which, by the way, somebody told me in French means the stinking pot. Uh, <laughs> so I I think if if I, if I my memory serves me correctly and. My memory rarely serves me correctly anymore. It seems to have a um, a mind of its own. Uh, that uh, I have tried some themeless editions of Fighting for the Faith. Today is actually themeless. I don't have a unifying theme. I'm looking at my program notes, and in the theme, uh, <laughs> the theme box, it says nothing. <laughs> it's like. I don't know. It, it. It. I. I guess this is the, the equivalent of walking out on stage naked or something. I. I feel unprepared. I feel vulnerable. You know, going into this edition of Fighting for the Faith. Uh, I. I guess what motivated me to do this is that there's a whole bunch of these, because I was on vacation, because I got a head cold and I wasn't feeling well, and I, I just, the pile is huge, and um, over and again, the stories that I. I want to. Uh, well, I wanted to bring to your attention, comment on, critique, whatever uh, the things I want to bring to the radio today. They, there wasn't, I couldn't unify them, and so I, so this is kind of a hodgepodge, oatmeal against the wall. Uh, kind of, we'll see what sticks, kind of things. But uh, you know, th- there is no theme for the day's edition of Fighting for the Faith. It, it just could be a free for all. I mean, yeah, crash helmet might be in, in order. Anyway, um, so. Uh, Yeah, so that's what we're doing today. We're just going to, we're going to, yeah, it's, I'm just looking at the notes here. I cannot work out a theme on this one. Anyway, let's talk about what we're going to talk about on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. Now, um, a lot of times we start off with kind of the goofy. We're going to start off with the goofy. Oh, man. Okay, Okay, I'm sure by now, because I've been so late in chiming in, you know, because the video went viral, every single one of you has heard uh, the uh, the Talladega Nights prayer that was uh, actually preached by a real bona fide pastor at uh, at a NASCAR event last weekend. Well, wow. yeah, that thing has gone viral so much so that it's now been songified. So what we're going to do is we're going to play. For those of you who may not have heard it, may may not have actually been aware that there was somebody out there who spent too much time watching Talladega Nights and. Apparently is worshiping Ricky Bobby to the point where he feels that Ricky Bobby's prayers need to be emulated. Um We'll play the prayer for you and uh and then we will play for you the now auto-tuned songified version of it, which by the way, I have to warn you. Um I I, I, I this it, when you after how do I explain this? Um this is it's this has got a catchy tune to it. Um when I play for you the songified version of this Talladega Nights NASCAR Best Ever NASCAR Prayer thing uh yeah it it has the potential to like mess you up the way uh, th- that song Jesus is a friend of mine did a few years ago yeah this has this has like earworm potential to it so I I want to warn you ahead of time don't be sending me emails saying oh chris man now I got that 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 song stuck in my head, and I've been singing "Boogity Boogity Boogity Amen" all all night long. Well, I you know I warned you, so that's all I can say is that if you actually listen to the songified version, uh, you you run the risk of getting that song stuck you know on repeat inside of your own head. Um, I wish I knew where the shuffle button was when I got music going in my head. I, 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 you know, a lot of times it gets usually stuck on one particular song. But so I just want to let you know this thing has earworm potential. So uh, you want to keep that in mind. Um, I, I've got, you know, again, one of the things we we point out here is, uh, you know, one of the things that Jesus warned about in the last days, and we've been in the last days since Jesus ascended to heaven. Um, is that he warned us that there would be false Christ and false prophets, there would be f- false messiahs running around the landscape claiming to be him, and uh, we've we've covered this, uh, we've talked a little bit about this uh, guy in uh, Australia who claims to be Jesus, and uh, his companion is uh, claimed to be Mary Magdalene uh, reincarnate. Uh, they recently did a like a. a, a investigative news report down there in Australia, and it's worth passing along if for no other reason that it reminds us of the dangers that we live in, Um it, 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 the dangerous times we live in. It, it, folks, uh, the church is a dangerous place to be, and uh, religious prognosticators are really uh, very dangerous. And if you know folks who are flirting with this type of stuff, uh, you need to pray for them and, and, and get in their face and call them to repent of their false religion and be forgiven by the real Jesus. Uh, the, the reality is, is that I, I don't see uh, any time soon there being a diminishing of false Jesus's uh, uh, rising on the landscape. But more or less, we can expect to see more of these kinds of guys, and uh, it's it's just bad news. And, and then just kind of a a story that I want to do just purely out of the hmm factor. Uh, yeah, that's right. That's if you can spell that. H m m m m. Um, that's the hmm factor. Uh, the I, I question. Uh, did John Lennon of the Beatles convert to Christianity prior to his murder in 1980? Um, yeah, I got I got a news story that I want to pass along to you. It just makes you again. This just falls into the category of the hmm factor. You yeah, it's something worth passing along. Um, and then um, let's see here. I've got a Gabe. I got a story about Gabe Lyons that I may or may not get to today. Gabe Lyons has a thing out there talking about the marriage problem in the United States, and Gabe Lyons is somebody whom I have had the opportunity to hear speak in person, and I don't trust this guy as far as I can throw him. Um, let me just put it this way: this guy's shrewd, and he kind of hung, you know, on the outer rim of the emergent movement uh at, you know as that thing got going and then kind of lost its steam and fell off the tracks and stuff like that i think we can officially say that the uh, the emergent uh movement uh, that the, the train wreck has already occurred the 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 bodies are strewn all over the place it's questionable as to whether or not they're actually going to bury the bodies they may just leave them out there for the birds to pick at but um Gabe Lyons was smart enough to jump off the train uh, before the, the the thing crashed, and this is somebody who just um, he's he's a very shrewd thinker. He I think there's an anger issue there he has with uh, with uh, legalistic fundamentalist Christianity, which I completely understand, and at the same time he his rhetoric still keeps him really you know he he's like a holdover from the uh, the postmodern emergent types and somebody we need to keep an eye on so i'm going to i'm going to read something uh, that he wrote regarding the marriage problem in the united states and then i'm going to switch gears here i'm going to actually play a very short fan- amazing fantastic great sermon uh, uh preached by a, a a lutheran pastor in perrysburg ohio of all places it's only 12 minutes long and, um, you gotta hear it. It's, it's, it's really that good. And, uh, I, I want to pass it along. It's, it's not good because the guy's a great order. It's not good because the guy has a gripping voice or somehow, you know, it, it sounds like he's reaching through the microphone and grabbing you by the throat and speaking directly to your face. It's not that, it's not that good. It's not good in that way. It's good in a way that's like, like, really bad news good news the good law gospel's calling sin what it is asking the tough question about whether or not how you're going to stand up on the day of judgment and then giving you Christ in a way that is comforting and real and authentic to the biblical text and so i'm going to pass that along today and then in hour number 2 we're going to do our full blown sermon review and um i got to tell you you know I, I i i had a little bit of a debate uh internally as to which of the sermons i wanted to uh review here and uh, the reason i say that is is because i'm going to be reviewing a sermon by cole phillips uh he is uh, the uh, church planting pastor at the connection church in kyle texas and early on it looked like uh, you know if, in fact 5 6 years ago cole phillips uh looked like he was going to you know that he was like an up and coming leader uh, thought leader in the uh, seeker-driven movement and he's kind of taken more of a back seat but he still buys into the whole purpose-driven movement and uh, in this sermon we're going to review today you're going to hear a lot of purpose-driven stuff and it's interesting you know here we are you know six seven years down the line with this whole purpose-driven stuff and he doesn't uh, uh, for lack of a better way of putting it it um, it, it it just falls flat. But uh, he's uh, done a sermon uh, series called "God on Film." We played the audio from his uh, premiere, you know, kicking off the sermon series. And uh, the debate was whether or not to uh, to review his sermon on the movie X Men: The First Class, or on Captain America. And you know, I I was musing about it, uh, and you know, kind of wavering back and forth. Which should I do? And um. And I've decided on X Men, but you know, was what was funny is is the Facebook comments on my wall regarding it were were actually pretty really hilarious. Uh, <laughs> one person wrote that, you know, I I thought the whole predestination thing, you know, in, in election, you know, was a predestination election question was a difficult question, but this one takes the cake, you know. Yeah, uh, you know, whether or not to review a sermon on Captain America or X Men, but so I've decided uh, we're going to be reviewing uh, his sermon that he did on X Men, the first class, and um, th- there's particular reasons why I I, uh, I uh, decided to go with this one rather than the other one, but I, I wanted to I wanted to make a caveat, and that is this is that um, Cole Phillips is a guy who whom I've watched. For many years now, and uh, have listened to many of the sermons that he's preached, and some of the guys on his staff. I don't know if there's uh, one guy in particular. I don't know if he's still on staff there, but um, Cole is the kind is 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 he's a different kind of purpose-driven preacher in this sense. Um, on a regular basis, not in the, this sermon, but in in many other sermons, Cole actually makes a concerted effort to preach the gospel as a main point in his sermons. Um, He doesn't do it in every sermon, but he does make a concerted effort to do it on a regular basis. And as a result of it, he stands out, in my mind, as not your typical seeker-driven, purpose-driven pastor, Uh, especially the kind of guys that we've been reviewing uh, a lot lately. So um, when I do the sermon review, I want you to keep that in mind. Although I'm going to uh, take him to task on the things that he does in this sermon, I I I have to give him props for the fact that um, I regularly hear him preach the gospel, and so I, I you know it he's he's in a different category in my mind as far as these guys are concerned, and uh, so I, I just wanted to pass that along you know as a caveat. So, all right, with that we're going to dive into the program proper, and I do not, I do not, I do not have um. Uh, intro music for this current segment. But what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to play for you um, the audio from the video that has gone viral this week called The Best Prayer Ever, Pastor Joel Nelms, NASCAR. Anyway, this is his prayer that he uh, prayed at a NASCAR event this weekend. Here we go.
1: And finally, we take you to Nashville, Tennessee, And the NASCAR Nationwide Series race where Pastor Joe Nelms delivers one of the most unusual pre-race prayers you will ever hear.
2: Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for all your blessings you said in all things give thanks. So we want to thank you tonight for these mighty machines that you brought before us. Thank you for the Dodges and the Toyotas. Thank you for the Fords. And most of all, we thank you for Roush and Yates partnering to give us the power that we see before us tonight. Thank you for GM Performance Technology and the RO7 engines. Thank you for Sunoco Racing Fuel and Goodyear tires that bring performance and power to the track. Lord, I want to thank you for my smoking hot wife tonight, Lisa. My two children, Eli and Emma, or as we like to call them, the little E's. Lord, I pray you bless the drivers and use them tonight. May they put on a performance worthy of this great track. In Jesus' name, boogity, 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 amen. man. Um,
0: uh... So yeah, that video has just exploded onto the internet, and uh, you know, I think they're up to a gazillion uh, views on YouTube. Boogity, 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 amen. At least he did it three times. There's one boogity for each of the um, persons of the Holy Trinity. Uh but uh, yeah, talk about a misapplication, like First Corinthians, uh, First Thessalonians, chapter five, about giving thanks in all things. Uh, it's it's really about giving thanks in all circumstances, uh, but he kind of took that. Well, let's give thanks for you know. Uh, I wonder if he got like money from each of the different uh, you know um corporations and their you know when he mentioned their products. But anyway, uh, so that thing has exploded onto the internet, and wouldn't you know it, the guys who uh, who do the songifying the, uh, if you remember the Antoine Dodson uh, songified song. Uh, but hide your kids hide your wife well those kids uh, th- th- well they've uh, <laughs> they've made their own songified version of this and finally for the most unusual and uh, i'm going to share it with you uh h- here cool. it is pre-race prayers by the way got to warn you this is an earworm you you've been warned you will ever hear heavenly
2: father we thank you tonight for all your blessings you said in all the things Machines that you brought before us Thank you for the dodges and the Toyotas Thank you for the boards And most of all I thank you for rounding Yates partner to give us the a-
0: Yeah, there you go, boogity, 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 amen, and thank you for my smoking hot wife. Oh, man.
1: <sighs>
0: I, I think this falls into the category of life-imitating art, if you can call Talladega Nights art. Anyway, oh, man. So, yeah, there it is. Uh, I <laughs> just... <laughs> Maybe I should just... Move along. I I think that's what I should do. Uh, Moving along. Boogity, boogity, boogity. Um, Oh, man. From the uh, Today Tonight program. Today Tonight. From Australia. We've got a a story about the, uh, the, the cult leader who claims to be, well, Jesus Christ and his companion is Mary Magdalene. And this is just worth passing along to you because... Again, signs of the times. This is the days we live in now, and where you know false Christs are actually appearing and misleading people. And uh, you got to hear some of the edge of this story as far as it, as it pertains to um, uh, well, the people who are caught up in this and, and the cult like, uh, cultish um, uh, behavior of uh, this religious group. Here, here we go.
3: Good evening. First tonight, inside the growing Jesus cult of A.J. Miller. He claims he's the son of God reborn, and his partner is Mary Magdalene reincarnated. And they're finding plenty of followers who believe them. Our hidden cameras went inside his Queensland headquarters to find the cult is busting up families, including a television soap star's. Rodney Lowe's... I know that sounds
0: ironic. Yes, a television soap star's family has been busted up. I, there's irony to the story, but that's not the point of the story. Just just keep listening, because this
1: is actually kind of scary. Ports, Fear, threats, and blackmail. I can feel that many of you
4: are still in addictions with regard to your development towards God. He's the self-proclaimed son of God on a national recruiting drive cutting a swathe through the suburbs.
1: Let yourself feel the disillusionment you feel. The disillusionment about the search. The first moment I said to myself, I am Jesus. Well, it wasn't really like that. Um, It was more to do, it was more of a gradual process over a period of about one week.
4: She's the Australian actress who's been cut off from her own daughter, lost to a divisive cult and its leader, AJ Miller.
1: I started having a whole series of pretty strong memories of my first century life, as well as my memories about spirit, my spirit life. Okay, now what you can't see because
0: you're listening on the radio or on a podcast is this guy's got a pretty good following. He's got a number of people that are paying attention to his lecture, and he's using a whiteboard and kind of you know mapping things out as far as his theology is concerned and the folks in the audience they showed them like having emotional moments where they were crying and and having these emotional releases and so um holy smokes i mean yeah one of the problems that we have in our society today is that people base what they believe to be true um almost exclusively on their feelings and um uh, and the head gets disengaged where the head the, the brain's going hey wait a second that doesn't make any sense the heart's going, oh, 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 do you feel that? It must be true. Uh, yeah, you need to put the head in the driver's seat and let your emotions take the back seat. You don't want to make decisions about what's true or not true based upon your feelings, uh, which is obvious just in watching this video is going on with these people here in Australia.
4: AJ Miller and his partner, Mary Luck, call this 16 hectare property near Kingaroy in Queensland, two hours west of Brisbane. Headquarters for the Divine Truth Movement, a Christian-based organization that sees AJ as its spiritual leader.
0: Yeah, stop, stop. Yeah, the folks there at uh, at the Today Tonight show in uh, Australia, uh, this is not a Christian-based ministry. Um, yeah, th- this guy who claims to be Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is is as Christian as the
4: Oslo-Norway shooter. In other words, he ain't. As he is the reincarnation of Jesus Christ, and Mary is, of course, Mary Magdalene.
1: I had a first moment of remembering who
0: I was, and then I became very scared about that.
4: The pair who bought the property in 2007 have been recruiting followers from across Australia. The truth
1: is that I did perform many miracles. I healed sight of people who were blind. You know, I healed lame limbs of people instantly and all of those kind of things and the so-called resurrections from the dead. And it's not just... Oh, man, this guy is going to have something... He's
0: going to have to give an accounting of all of these things that he's claiming when he meets the real Jesus. Boy, is he going to be shocked.
4: On this plane that A.J. Miller has been sharing his thoughts on spiritual enlightenment. He's been very active in the afterlife. Plato
1: and Aristotle I met together, actually.
4: Even Gandhi has sought AJ's counsel. He had some
1: emotional injuries, though, with regard to... particularly with regard to how he viewed holiness and how... Yeah, oh, boy, I'm so glad that Gandhi was able to get some healing from you. (laughs) ..how he viewed sexuality.
4: It's understood one of his followers here in Australia is the former husband of Neighbours actor Kim Valentine.
1: Industry insiders are saying Kim's big concern is that her ex-husband is trying to sweep their beloved daughter into the Jesus cult.
4: Television insider Craig Bennett says the Neighbours star has been concerned for some time that AJ's divine truth would keep her eight-year-old daughter from her after her ex-partner Fabio Tolly joined the group I think her biggest fear is just for the safety and security of her daughter. I'd be concerned about her eternal soul too. It's believed it may have contributed to Kim's health and emotional issues since separating from her husband and then being linked to the married Vince Colosimo. This morning she checked herself out of a private Melbourne hospital. You could say she's hit rock bottom. Already many of AJ's other followers have left their husbands, wives and families Searching out their true soulmates, followers like Igor Shakenhoff. He's the change, I believe, that uh, the world is waiting for.
0: Oh, man. So, uh, yeah, people are leaving their spouses to go um, become followers of this Jesus. Um, do you think Jesus, uh, the, the real biblical Jesus, is in favor of people just up and leaving their, their spouses?
4: The Divine Truth website calls for donations are made to help AJ and Mary travel overseas, most likely to recruit more followers. It's sort of like a crown of glory for your own soul. Miller, while comparing himself to Jesus, has an uncanny likeness to the Branch Davidian cult leader, David Koresh who died in this inferno in 1993, along with 75 of his followers in Waco, Texas.
0: Yeah, the the uh, appearance factor is kind of, like, not even compelling. Uh, the fact that they both had messianic complexes and uh, are dividing people, families
4: against... Oh, boy.
1: There went the explosion.
4: In Australia, AJ and Mary's followers learn about their soul and its previous incarnations, and they're taught how to remember them. So our unified soul is in a 22nd
1: sphere soul union state.
5: I think that in a group like Miller's, there's this feeling like, I am in a personal relationship with God.
4: Rick Ross is a cult expert and specializes in bringing those who fall victim to self-proclaimed prophets out of their vice-like grip. Ultimately, that's a device to exploit them and take advantage of them, in my opinion. And that is what has many here concerned. With Miller already preaching of an apocalypse next year, Wiltsdale outside Arroy is the base chosen as God's safe place for a last stand.
1: I will feed them with my truth.
4: It's Rodney Lowe's reporting.
0: All right, so, yeah, apparently the uh, uh, Alan Miller Jesus cult is uh, uh, predicting... Um, Apocalypse for next year. Everyone's predicting apocalypse in next year, except for Harold Camping. I mean, he he you know, he kind of you know jumped the gun and went for this year, and well, it just didn't happen. Frightening stuff, folks. Frightening, frightening stuff. And you think it doesn't affect me. It, it really the reality is, is that it 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 just may well affect you. Um this spiritual deception is rampant, rampant. Open your Bibles. Get into God's Word. You don't need a prophet. Uh, you don't need a guy claiming to be Jesus Christ, because the teachings of the real Jesus are there for us in Scripture. Uh, you know, true Christianity is apostolic. It's not prophetic. And what I mean by that is, is that it's apostolic. That means that we already have what God has said. It's there for us. It's revealed to us. And Jesus entrusted his message. And to you know, to the apostles who were eyewitnesses of his death and resurrection. Uh, p- uh, groups that claim to be prophetic or be giving you some new insight and their stuff contradicts the scripture, even if they're claiming for themselves the Christian title. Um, th- that's not what Christianity is. Christianity is apostolic. It is not prophetic. Alright, we are up on our first break uh, If you'd like to email me Regarding today's um, kind of free-for-all Potpourri edition of Fighting for the Faith uh, You could do so uh, My email address is talkback at Talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook It's facebook.com forward slash PirateChristian Or you can follow me on Twitter My name there, PirateChristian we, we'll, we'll be right back
5: If you think God is a black woman named Papa, then you need to get out of the shack and read your Bible. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
2: It's...
0: Marty Python's Flying Circus
4: Church. i now presenting for your listening pleasure... Majestic Mystery by Brian McLaren, read by Reginald Bumper Scatter.
0: Oh, majestic mystery! Oh, mysterious majesty! My small hand can never
5: grasp you. I can only. Hold it open
3: I don't like this at oh, all Majestic <laughs> mystery I, I
0: think I'm gonna be sick So oh, mysterious He's saying words, but I'm not even sure it's English Small mind ah, My appendix just turned inside out Hold
5: it open
0: Someone help that poor man and call the paramedics. What's all this then? That poor man appendix is just turned inside out.
3: Well, that doesn't sound good. It's not every day that people appendixes do that. What was he doing? Uh,
0: Listening to the emergent poet on stage.
3: You didn't tell me there was emergent poetry being read? Right. Everybody evacuate the building immediately.
2: Oh, majestic
0: mystery. Here come the Navy SEALs.
1: What seems
3: to be the trouble?
0: Somebody in that building is reading emergent poetry.
3: Have you set up a soundproof perimeter?
0: No, I haven't had time.
3: Oh, we can't help you then.
0: What do you mean you can't help us?
3: Too dangerous.
0: Too dangerous? Don't
3: get cheeky with
4: me. You've seen but a small taste of Emergent Poetry's destructive power. It only gets worse with each passing stanza.
3: Game over, dude. Game over.
4: Quick, get that man into quarantine. His soul's been sucked out from his nostrils.
3: Isn't there anything you can do to help that poor man?
1: Afraid not. The only answer we have now is to nuke the site from orbit.
3: Search the area and make sure no one's hiding in the refrigerator.
0: We can't have any survivors. It's been nice serving with you, Chief.
3: Likewise. Can't believe the world's come to this.
0: Chris Roseborough here to talk about this month's perk for those of you who are members of the Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio crew. Have you ever been to Walt Disney World or Disneyland and taken a VIP tour of one of those parks? Well, if so, then you know just how valuable those tours can be in pointing you to things that you had never even noticed before. Well, this month's resource, Dr. Paul Kretzman's popular commentary on the Gospel of Matthew, is like a VIP walkthrough tour of the Gospel of Matthew itself. It's fascinating, in depth, written on a lay level, and it'll help you to achieve a much deeper appreciation and understanding of this vital, vital biblical book. Now, if you would like to get a copy of this, this is only available for our crew members. So, the way you join our crew is visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. Click on the one that says Join Our Crew. You're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And once you fill that out, we will send you an email giving you instructions on how to download this wonderful book. So head on over to fightingforthefaith.com, join our crew today, and thank you for your support. Ba-ba-ba. All right, we're back. Warning, no joke, this program could cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with your church, especially if your pastor's not preaching the gospel to you. That's right, you still sin daily and much. You need to hear the gospel for you. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith, this is listener supported radio. Need to remind you that we really do need your help, especially during the lean summer months. If you don't already support us financially, Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. There's two ways for you to support us there. Uh, there's two buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, it's you're signing up for a, a monthly contribution of six dollars and ninety five cents on a monthly basis to support Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And the perks are that uh, when we publish our eBooks, which we publish, you know, we got several of them in the in the hopper, and we've been publishing them semi regularly now. Uh, you get those at no additional cost. And you know, there's other perks that come up every now and then. But, uh, of course, the, the big perk is that we're able to pay our bills and keep bringing the program to you. So, that, <clears throat> yeah, anyway, you get what I'm saying. So uh, visit FightingForTheFaith.com, click on the Join Our Crew button, or you can uh, click on the Donate button to make a one-time contribution where you can specify the amount. Or, if you'd like to do it the traditional way, you can make your check payable to Fighting For The Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46. 46- Okay, so from the foxnews.com website, the headline reads, Jesus, Reagan, and John Lennon, what secrets has Yoko Ono been keeping from us? Uh, <clears throat> this was published by Mark Joseph uh, a couple of days ago on the foxnews.com website. And I just asked the question, was John Lennon a Christian prior to being murdered? Anyway, uh, <clears throat> listen to the story. it's It's rather fascinating. You'd think someone as smart as Yoko Ono, who lived through Watergate, would have learned the most important lesson the scandal taught, uh, taught all of us. The cover-up is always worse than the crime. But if several reports are to be believed, she didn't and has for years been keeping secrets from all of us about her late husband. Uh, first, thanks to rock biographer Steve Turner, in his book, The Gospel According to the Beatles, we learned several years back that Lennon was a fan of TV preachers like Pat Robertson, Oral Roberts and Billy Graham. Um oh, man. Um, back then, I think Pat Robertson was a little closer to orthodoxy than he is now. Um, Oral Roberts, I can't really speak to that. I think he was the pioneers of the word faith movement. But, hmm. Anyway, according to Turner, none of this sat well with uh, Yoko Ono, who vigorously opposed Lenin's interest in Christianity. Quote, over the following months, he baffled those close to him by constantly praising the Lord, writing Christian songs with titles like Talking with Jesus and Amen, the Lord's Prayer, set to music and trying to convert non-believers. He also called the prayer line of the 700 Club Pat Robertson's program. Uh, the change in his life uh, perturbed Yoko, who tried to talk him out of it, She reminded him of what he'd said about his vulnerability to strong religious leaders because of his emotionally deprived background. She knew that if the press found out about it, that they would have had a field day with another John and Jesus story. John became an agnostic toward her, blaming her for practicing the dark arts and telling her that she couldn't see the truth because her eyes had been blinded by Satan. Those close to the couple sensed that the real reason she was concerned was that it threatened her control over John's life. If he became a follower of Jesus, he would no longer depend on her and the occultists. During long, passionate arguments, she attacked the key points of his fledgling faith. They met with a couple of Norwegian missionaries whom Yoko questioned fiercely about the divinity of Jesus, knowing that this was the teaching that John had always found the most difficult to accept. Their answers didn't satisfy her, and John began to waver in his commitment that Lenin was seeking spiritual answers in the Japanese mountain town of Karazawa, where he and Yoko and Sean spent time was well known. One missionary, Carol Fleener, who claimed that the couple also once attended her church, Uh, uh, Karozawa Union Church, remembered their encounter. Quote, We talked a little more about our kids before I knew it an hour had passed, and he, Yoko and Sean, prepared to pedal off on their bikes, she recalled. It's good to talk to all of you, John said. I've been looking for something this summer, something spiritual, he continued. I've been speaking with a lot of the missionaries I've met here about life and what it all means. Thank you for your words. He waved goodbye, and I waved back as they rode off. Little Sean perched on his daddy's handlebars. More recent more recently reports have surfaced in a soon to be released documentary that late in life Lennon had grown ashamed of the political naivete of his early years and though unable to vote for him uh, for him because of the, his British British citizenship had become he had become a supporter of Ronald Reagan during his run for the presidency in 1980 quote John basically made it very clear that if he were an American, he would vote for Reagan because he was really sour on Jimmy Carter. Seaman told filmmaker Seth Swirsky, he did express support for Reagan, which shocked me. I also saw John embark in some real, really brutal argument with my uncle, whose old-time columnist. He enjoyed really provoking my uncle. Maybe he was being provocative, but it was very obvious to me that he had moved away from his earlier radicalism. He was... Very different person back in 1979 and 80 than had he had been when he wrote. Imagine uh, by 1979, he looked back on that guy and was embarrassed by that guy's naivete. Uh, finally, according to a book titled "All We Are Saying," the last major interview of John Lennon and Yoko Ono, Lennon questioned the theory of evolution, mocking the notion that man descended from apes. "Quote: I don't believe in evolution of fish to monkeys to men." Why aren't monkeys changing into men now, Lennon asked. It's absolute garbage. It's absolutely irrational garbage. As mad as the ones who believed the world was made only 4,000 years ago. The fundamentalists. I, I don't buy it. I've got no basis for it. No theory to offer. I just don't buy it. Something other than that. Something simpler. I, I don't buy anything other than it's. it always was and ever shall be. If John Lennon had become a reagan Levin TV evangelist watching evolution-mocking 40-year-old it was certainly no crime, but if Yoko Ono knew it and kept it from us for the last 30 years, surely that would be a crime against the truth. From a woman whose family's motto was, all I want is the truth, just give me some truth. Anyway, so, yeah, that, <laughs> when I read that story, it's like, that just came out of left field, kind of literally. But yeah, wow, um, interesting, interesting. Um, mm, I don't know what to make of it. Will we be uh, seeing um, John Lennon in the uh, Heavenly Kingdom? Who knows? Okay, moving along to the Christian Post. Uh, This is a guy you've got to watch out for, Gabe Lyons. Um, Smart, just wickedly smart guy. Uh, he, He hung on the outer edges of the emergent movement and jumped off the train long before that thing crashed. And uh, but uh, he's kind of got that that same sensibility to him. And I, I've seen him speaking in public. And uh, mm, yeah, <clears throat> the the name of the story is Gabe Lyons marriage problem in the U.S. culture isn't gay marriage. Now, watch this technique, and I'm going to point out the problem with it real quickly. Gabe Lyons, author of The Next Christians, said that the degrading health of traditional marriage, thanks to the hookup culture and other maladies, was a far bigger problem for America than a possible proliferation of same-sex marriage legalization. Quote, Christians need to be having rigorous civil dialogues about marriage and sexuality that go beyond the issues of same-sex relationships. Lyon wrote in an article published in the Huffington Post Sunday, the day New York New York's gay marriage law came into force. The young evangelical leader pointed out that shame uh, no longer kept divorce and infidelity from being commonplace fixtures in American culture. Quote, this degradation of marriage is due not to the 2.8% of those who identify as lgbt in our society but the uh, but to the heterosexuals with spoiled marriages and the increasingly popular hookup culture in the younger generation now i'm going to pause right here you get you get what's going on here there's a whole bunch of younger evangelical leaders who are engaging in obfuscation regarding the gay marriage issue one of the one of their arguments goes something along the lines of this. Well, listen, there's, it you know, looks like only what seven verses in the Bible to talk about homosexuality. Seven verses, and you're going to make such a big deal about it. I mean, look with all the evil that's going on in the world, why are you focusing on on those seven? Come on, it, th- this is kind of a variation of it, but it's far more sophisticated. Okay, but it works off the same principle. Now, let me, ex- let me I'll explain it to you this way, so that you can kind of get the problem here. Okay, now imagine if you would that. The economy got so bad that you personally, not me, but you, uh, this is because this is a hypothetical, so I'm going to use you, not me. But you decided hypothetically that you were going to start engaging in petty theft, okay? And so, uh, because you couldn't afford all of your groceries, you decided that the 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 next time you were at Walmart, you were going to well, utilize what's um, euphemistically known as the five finger discount. You know, certain small items have just disappear off of a shelf and find their way magically into well your pocket or your purse or your backpack or whatever it doesn't matter and uh and and then you leave the store without actually paying for those items that magically found their way into your pocket um so uh, i mean this is what we call petty theft okay shoplifting if uh, another way of putting it but uh, shoplifting isn't is i mean it's not up there with murder and stuff like that and obviously you know it's You know. Anyway, let's say then that you, upon leaving Walmart after engaging in the five finger discount, well, much to your surprise, you were met at the door by a security officer who then took you into custody, and then they called the police, and then you, and then you were charged with a crime, petty theft and shoplifting. Now, imagine then that you go to court, okay, and here's your defense. I don't understand with all of the major crimes that are taking place in the United States. All I mean, the United States has a growing murder rate. Uh the the, the you know those violent crimes are going through the roof. Uh there I mean there's just terrible things that are happening, blue collar, white collar crimes and all this kind of stuff. Why on earth are you gonna spend so much of your time and resources, you know, you district attorney Taking me to court and charging me with petty theft when all I did was steal a couple of Tic Tac boxes and some batteries. Okay, do you think the judge would take you seriously? I mean, I mean, think about it. I mean, in the United States civil code, I mean, or criminal justice code, I mean, the huge volumes and volumes and volumes of laws written against all kinds of crimes, right? From you know from bank robbery to uh you know tax evasion to uh you know murder to you know manslaughter all the I mean all of these different crimes and, and these huge volumes and your your defense basically rests on the idea that well. Listen, there's a lot bigger. There's, I mean, petty crime only makes up a small percentage of the total crime that occurs in the United States. It's not that big of a deal. We're only talking about a few, you know, 20, 30 bucks here, 20, 30 bucks there. It's not that big of a deal. Why are you wasting all of your time focusing on this tiny little problem when all this other stuff is going on? I guarantee you, if you try that defense, the judge is going to look at you cross eyed and he's probably going to throw the book at you, okay? Because that's not an argument, okay? This is why Gabe Lyons' argument is subtle and dangerous at the same time. When we look at God's law, remember the scriptures tell us clearly what the purpose of the law is. Read Romans chapter 3. The purpose of the law is to show you your sin. Okay, this The law doesn't save you. Okay, The purpose of the law is to condemn each and every one of us to strip us of our self-righteousness and cause us to realize that our standing before a holy and just God is not good at all. If it's based upon your righteousness or my righteousness, my good works, or my obedience or your obedience to the law. We just cannot stand up before a holy and just God. So this is kind of a red herring argument. The reality is, is that... Um, homosexuality is mentioned as a sin in the scripture, just like lying is mentioned as a sin in scripture, just like divorce is mentioned as a sin in scripture. So the, the and it's a complete red herring to say that the, all these Christians are out there who are just singularly focusing in on homosexuality. That's a bunk argument. Okay. As if there's no justification biblically to point out that this is a sin. It is a sin just like all these others are now does it get the headline you know it's preaching about homosexuality calling it a sin and stuff like that because of the current state we're in in the in the culture wars so to speak and and the legislative wars battlings and posturings that are going on at the different state levels in the united states this is a hot button topic and so it gets a lot more attention right now than i think is really going on in the general culture i mean if, if it were just to be left alone as its thing that being the case um yeah there's a problem with with marriage as a whole in the United States and there there's there'd be there'd be a whole lot of formal capitulating going on out there Among heterosexuals, which is equally sinful, and Christians have a responsibility to preach against that as you know, using God's law and calling people to be uh, to repentance and the forgiveness of their sins, regardless of whether or not their sins are committed in in homosexual sex, heterosexual sex, whether or not they're sexually, that's not their problem. But they have different problems that they, you know, different sins in their lives that they need to be confronted with, so that they can be stripped of their self righteousness, shown that they're a sinner in need of. A Savior and brought to the the, the the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross for the forgiveness of their sins. So when you hear guys like Gabe Lyons, who you again, this is somebody who's hung out on the outer fringes of the emergent movement and has learned postmodern rhetoric really well, this is not an either or. This is not an either-or. This is a both-and, and and we preach the law vigorously regarding all types of sins so that people are brought to repentance and the forgiveness of their sins won by Christ on the cross. And uh, that's all i got to say about Gabe Lyons. Okay, switching gears. Okay, now I'm going to do something I don't normally do in the first hour, and that is I'm going to play a sermon. It's a small sermon. It's a short sermon, and it's a humble sermon, and it's brilliant, and it's amazing. And wow, does it do a good job of preaching the law to nail you to the wall and strip you of your self righteousness, and then preach Christ and Him crucified for your sins? This was preached, I think, this past Sunday by uh, Pastor John Rutz of um, of Shepherd of the Valley Lutheran Church in Perrysburg, Ohio. And I I actually got several emails from folks uh, saying you've got you've got to listen to this sermon. And after listening to the sermon, I thought, yeah, not only do I need to, need to listen to it, I, I need to pass this thing along. So I'm not going to intro it with our normal uh, sermon review music. We'll save the sermon review music for the second hour. And this is, only, this is a short sermon. I mean, it's, it's just a little over 12 minutes long. I'm not going to interrupt it. Well, I might. Uh, I, 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 I might interrupt it once, maybe twice. I don't know. It depends. But um, listen to how Pastor Rutz uses the law. He doesn't talk about generic sin. Watch what he does. I mean, this this sermon hinges on an important question, and that is, is that when Christ comes again in glory to judge to the living and the dead, how are you going to fare? With that, I, I, I'm not going to say anything more. Here is Pastor John Rutz, Shepherd of the Valley Lutheran Church, and um, I don't even know what to call the sermon, but here we go.
5: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> the kingdom of heaven, God's gracious reign, that's the subject matter of Jesus' teaching in the parables of our text this morning. He spoke these final parables of Matthew 13 to his disciples. They had come inside from the house, away from the crowds. Thus were given to understand that Jesus intended these parables for his followers, for those who are believers. Earlier Jesus had told the parables of the sower and of the weeds among the wheat publicly. He gave those parables for all to hear. Only the interpretations were given privately to the disciples by those parables Jesus explained why his teaching didn't invariably bring forth a good yield and also that while there would certainly be a judgment it would not take place until the end for as long as this world endures the disciples should not expect a separation between believers and the wicked. Our third parable this morning, the parable of the net, seems to reiterate the message of the parable of the weeds among the wheat. Indeed, Jesus' words of explanation here are identical to what he said in interpreting the parable of the weeds. In the end, the angels throw the wicked into the fiery furnace, In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What Jesus is telling his disciples with this parable, then, is you need to know that in the end, there will be a separation between the good and the bad, the evil and the righteous. When that time comes, those who are evil will experience terrible suffering. Given the rapture that was predicted for May 21st but did not happen, it's worth underlining how this parable describes the end. At that time, Jesus says, those who are righteous and those who are wicked will face the judgment together. There's not even a hint here of the primary feature of the so-called rapture in which the righteous are taken by the Lord while the wicked remain on earth for a time of tribulation. Quite simply, that is not what the Bible teaches concerning the end. So don't be misled or frightened concerning those who predict a rapture. Not only does Jesus plainly say that no one knows the day or hour of his return, meaning that anyone predicting it doesn't know what he's talking about, But Jesus also teaches that there will be no separation of the righteous from the wicked before the last day. The net drawn in at the close of the age draws in good fish and bad at the very same time. And only when the net has been pulled in will the separation take place. Then, immediately, those who are evil will be consigned to punishment. Of course, even if you're clear about this, a vital question remains. Will I be judged to be among the righteous or among the evil? Okay.
0: Oh, man. Now, if you are a human being, a red-blooded human being descended from Adam and Eve... Already you are all too aware of the fact that these distinctions between the righteous and the wicked um, don't bear well as far as your favor is concerned. So now the question, how will you fare on the day of judgment? Will you be sorted into the bin with those who are righteous or those who are wicked? And that kind of leads to the other question, how do you go from one bin to the other? How do you go from the, uh, the wicked bin to the righteous bin? Is it by your good works, by, by you striving hard, trying hard to obey God's law? Not at all. Let's continue.
5: A look in the mirror of God's law isn't encouraging. Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest? of them all. The law gives the answer, not you. When things go well for you, you don't give full credit always and only to the Lord. Moses had good reason to warn the children of Israel against saying in their hearts, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this well. Everyone thinks that way at least some of the time, but when you do, you're having another God before the Lord. Or take the other side of things. When you experience difficulty when life isn't going your way, to whom do you turn? You follow the saying, when all else fails, pray if you do. Your trying other things before praying reveals a lack of trust in the Lord. As Luther teaches, the confidence and faith of the heart alone make both God and an idol. To claim credit for yourself is to take away from the glory that belongs to God.
0: That's right. Now notice what he's doing. He's going right to the first commandment. How are you sticking up to the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. Uh, yeah, you aren't looking good here. Um, neither am I.
5: To look to anyone or anything for help or deliverance before looking to the Lord is to put your trust somewhere else than in Him. In these ways, you have broken the first commandment, have had other gods, before the Lord.
0: Now notice, he's not preaching the law in abstract. You are guilty of idolatry now. Unequivocally, you and I, all of us, we're uh, we're in deep
1: kimchi now.
5: Thus what we said at the beginning of the service today is absolutely true. You have sinned against God in thought, word, and deed by what you have done and by what you have left undone. You have not loved him with your whole heart. You justly deserve his present and eternal punishment. That's the truth. Evil does as evil is. Rotten fish stink. Each of us has given God reason to command that we be cast into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth.
0: Man, H- he's spot on, and boy, does this—if this doesn't cause you to stand up and pay attention, I don't know what is going to take it. What it's going to take. He just said that you and me and everybody listening <laughs> deserves to be thrown into the fiery furnace. That the reason why we do the evil things we do, and and he just listed off idolatry and explained it in a way that none of us is is uh, innocent. Um. The reason why we do it is because we're rotten fish. And he just said they're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. This is done right. This is, this is how you preach the law.
5: Right on. But Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Jesus doesn't give us an interpretation of these parables, but consider this, the field is the world, the man is Jesus, and you are the buried treasure. Though he was in the form of God, Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Just as in the parable, the man in his joy goes and sells all that he has in order to buy the field. So for the joy that was set before him, the joy of redeeming you from death and from hell, the joy of being your Savior from sin, for this joy, Jesus endured the cross despising the shame, for you, you are the pearl of great value, whom Jesus, like a merchant in search of fine pearls, found, and in order to have you as his own, he willingly gave up everything that he had. He trusted his Father so fully that he did the Father's will and not his own. He drank the cup of God's wrath against you for your failure to have no other God before Him. Though He is the beloved Son of God, He endured being forsaken by His Father in order to purchase and win you from all sin, from death and from the power of the devil. Jesus is that sacrificial lamb who willingly gave His life so that in His blood you could be cleansed and redeemed, be made holy and righteous, without spot or wrinkle or any blemish. It seems incredible, doesn't it? Unbelievable that the only begotten Son of God would consider you a poor, miserable sinner to be a buried treasure or a fine pearl for whom He would joyfully give up everything, If only he could make you his own. And yet that is exactly what he's done. We see a sort of preview of it already in the Old Testament. In the light of these two parables, listen again to the words of Moses. You are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who were on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your father Know that the Lord your God is God, that the Son of God, Jesus, is your Savior. He kept the promise of salvation he made to your first parents way back in the Garden of Eden. By his death on the cross, he crushed the serpent's head for you. He is the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, forgiving your iniquity and transgression and sin, for Jesus' sake, because he loves you. Amen. Please rise. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord to life everlasting. Amen. Amen.
0: Boy, it doesn't have to be very long, does it? You preach the law to kill. You don't set it to stun. You don't water it down. You don't dilute it. You set it to kill to kill self-righteousness, to condemn sinners. And then you preach Christ and him crucified and the free forgiveness of sins won by his shed blood on the cross. That's how you do it. All right, we are up on our second break. If you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith... (laughs) You do so, my email address, talkback at Or you're going to ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, pirate Christian. We will be right back.
5: We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
0: Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some...
4: to
0: Pirate Christian Radio. Chris Roseborough here to talk about this month's perk for those of you who are members of the Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio crew. Have you ever been to Walt Disney World or Disneyland and taken a VIP tour of one of those parks? Well, if so, then you know just how valuable those tours can be in pointing you to things that you had never even noticed before. Well, this month's resource, Dr. Paul Kretzmann's popular commentary on the Gospel of Matthew, is like a VIP walkthrough tour of the gospel of Matthew itself. It's fascinating in depth written on a lay level and it'll help you to achieve a much deeper appreciation and understanding of this vital vital biblical book. Now, if you would like to get a copy of this, this is only available for our crew members. So the way you join our crew is visit our website fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons, click on the one that says join our crew. You're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio, and once you fill that out, we will send you an email giving you instructions on how to download this wonderful book. So head on over to FightingForTheFaith.com, join our crew today, and thank you for your support. Okay. Okay. Hour number two, fighting for the faith. Sermon review time. Yeah, it's the summertime, so it's time to preach on movies. Bad and the Ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We are an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's uh, sermon, uh, well, movie sermon, um, comes to us via the Connection Church in Kyle, Texas. Cole Phillips presiding. The name of the sermon series is God on Film. The uh, specific film that he's going to be preaching on, not really, but attempting to, is X-Men, the first class. Yeah, so uh, here's the issue. As I mentioned earlier, I actually have some respect for uh, Cole Phillips. And the reason why is because unlike many of the seeker-driven pastors out there, the guys who are trying to be relevant uh, to make the well to make christianity relevant and appealing to uh, folks that are uh, well non believers this is a completely misguided principle by the way people are dead in trespasses and sins and at war with god and they hate god uh, as a result of their sinful nature that they inherited from their first parents adam and eve so there's no power in preaching about movies. The power is always in the Word of God. Now, what's interesting about the sermon is is that um, it well it starts off bad, and he then goes on to make a bunch of unfounded assertions from the biblical text. And uh, again, I have to reiterate the fact that uh, Cole Phillips regularly makes a point of preaching the gospel as a major point in his sermons. So. He's not being faulted for that. It's that he's bought into a bad methodology that, well, it's just not going to work. No, it doesn't work. In fact, the more years we get behind our belts on this seeker-driven thing, the less innovative and less relevant it looks, and the more unfaithful to God's word it looks. And so, I mean, let's... Put the power back where the power be, and the power be in the word of God, and the preached word, and proclaiming Christ and him crucified for our sins. You just heard it in the sermon that we played that was only 12 minutes long. I mean, compare what you heard in that sermon to what you're going to hear in this one. And you'll, you'll understand the nature of the problem. Okay, so without any further ado, here is Cole Phillips in his movie sermon, supposedly on the movie X-Men, The First Class. Here we go.
3: Excited? Yeah! Woo! All right. Today we're going to continue our uh, series, God on Film Heroes Edition. This is week number two, and uh, so glad that you're here with us today. And I'm excited about today as we get behind the the, um, blockbuster movies of the summer and really try to clarify some of the messages and uh, see what it is that God would want to say to us today from His Word. And uh, today we're dealing... See, the problem,
0: um, start with the movie and then uh, move to somehow uh, see what God would have to say to us from his word. Why don't we just skip the movie part and get right to his word? Now, I don't have a problem with a pastor who wants to use a movie illustration to help us better understand the biblical text. Um, Even I do that. Okay, I don't have a problem with that at all. I mean... There's nothing. Pro- there's nothing wrong with having an, a sermon illustration uh, using a popular movie that everyone's seen, so that you you know you can have some kind of a referent point that'll help people understand what the biblical text is saying. No problem. But here's the problem: is is with this kind of movie preaching? Uh, it the whole point is is that oh look, we're showing the world how much we care for them. We're showing the world uh, that we can be relevant, that we care about the things that they care about and it's kind of a bait and switch tactic and it's really misguided and um you'll see as the as the sermon progresses that you know in Cole's case this really does pan out to be a, a bait and switch he's not really preaching about the movie at all let's continue
3: dealing with that X-Men first class how the how the X-Men got their start are you familiar with the X-Men okay yeah they uh they're they're the mutant powers right they have they all have these special gifts and abilities, and they team up together to harness their powers, to um, use their gifts to make a difference in the world, and when people look at them, they say there's something wrong with them, they're afraid of them, but they insist that they are the future. Now, this movie, First Class, is all about uh, how Professor X and Magneto got their start. They used to be friends, and um, and they worked together before they... Um, they become arch enemies. Now, okay.
0: Notice he's he's basically at this point. You know, I gotta you know I gotta tell you I don't really know that much about X Men. Um, you know, first class was a decent movie, um, but I, I'm not that much into it. And if you were to ask my wife about the X Men, um, she'd look at you uh, cross-eyed and go the, the X what? Um, she wouldn't know what you're talking about. And so. Um, here's the deal is, is that you know, these seeker-driven guys make the claim that these movie sermons are all about being relevant. But the reality is is that um, what they're doing is they're actually um, appealing to a smaller audience um, than they would if they were to just preach uh, Christ and him crucified for our sins. Let me explain why. Okay? Um, not everybody likes uh, comic book movies. Not everyone is into the superhero thing. There are some folks, uh, women uh, that prefer chick flicks or romantic comedies. Guys, some guys like uh, you know the gross-out comedies. Other guys like action adventure stuff. It's it's not every day that you find that you know all the different types of movie are movies are appealing to the hugest amount of people. I mean, even the biggest blockbusters really are only appealing to at best fifteen to twenty percent of the total population. I mean, that's that's a runaway blockbuster. OK, when you look at the uh, the total figures for like, a you know, you know, uh, its first 30 day run, you know, a movie like the latest Harry Potter movie, when it's all said and done, it's only going to appeal to uh, the number of people who are going to see it, you know, 10, 15 percent of the population tops. And it's not really going to be something that get, gets into a wider audience until it goes on DVD uh, or people have the opportunity to watch it on television because um, you, you know, you know, they wouldn't have picked it anyway. And, and then what will happen is is it will appear on a television show and they, well, maybe I'm interested and I'll watch it and then they'll make the decision after that. And so it, it's I think it's really convoluted thinking at best to think that preaching on movies is a way of being relevant and drawing a big crowd. Um I, I if anything it, it, you really run the risk of alienating a large segment of people anyway because if if people are going to come to church based upon whether or not it appeals to their particular uh pop culture um well feeding habits if for, for lack of a better I mean that's the thing it, it you know movies are a consumer item Okay, they are a consumer item based upon consumer taste. Music is a consumer item based upon consumer taste. And so, when you are when you make the decision to limit what you're doing to appeal to a sub a subculture of the of the greater culture, you're actually not being relevant. You're being you know the majority of the people are going to think what you're doing is irrelevant. Now, if you were to preach the word in season and out of season, it applies equally to everyone. Everybody is a sinner. Everybody uh, needs to hear that Christ died for their sins. And so at this point, what you're doing is when you you preach the word, you're preaching to a universal problem. You're preaching to... The universal solution. You're preaching the universal need that everybody has, whether they recognize it or not. And you're you don't need to gussy it up or make it appealing. You need to preach the truth. And it, God's word is the thing that's living and active and sharper than any double edged sword. It's God's word in the preaching of the gospel that brings people to repentance, brings them to the forgiveness of their sins, gives them faith as a gift, so that they can trust the promises of God. And going, yeah, but. Uh, If we do that, then there's going to be some people who reject the message. Right. There are going to be some people, maybe even the majority of people, who are going to persist in, in sin and unbelief. But the Bible actually anticipates this. Anticipates this. If you have your Bible, flip on over to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. I'm going to read to you a section from Acts chapter 13, and I want you to pay close attention to what's going on here regarding the listeners. Okay? Just watch what happens. Okay. Now, Acts chapter 13, we're going to start at... Let's give a little context here. Um, Let's start at verse 13. Now, Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem, but they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, he said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All of this took place about 450 years, and after that he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all of my will." Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he has promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. They asked Pilate to have him executed, and when they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in the tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second Psalm You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessing of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, through this man, the forgiveness of sins is now proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish." For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. Now, I'm going to pause right there for a second. Okay? Pause right there. This... Gospel announcement. This gospel proclamation that Jesus is the promised Messiah. That's what the whole purpose of that history was. He traces back the Old Testament history in order to come back to the prophetic promises regarding the Messiah. The folks listening to him had ideas of what the Messiah would do, and their their ideas were wrong. Many of them had ideas that the Messiah was going to be merely a political figure who was going to, you know, reestablish the Davidic kingdom. Um, and kick out the Romans and rule from Jerusalem. Okay, That's what many of them thought. So by preaching what he's preaching and preaching it the way he's preaching it, he's already stepping on toes big time. Not only that, um, Jews uh, were divided into two primary uh, theological camps. Well, there was more, but there was two main ones. And you had the liberals who were the Sadducees, and you had kind of the... The fundamentalist legalists, for lack of a better way of putting it, uh, who were the Pharisees, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. They did not believe in it at all. Okay, they—if you, if you would—they denied uh, many types of miracles. Okay, the Pharisees believed in it. So by preaching what Paul preached, he was alienating people, and he knew it. Okay, some of them. See, and he wasn't making anybody happy at this point because he was proclaiming the truth okay and he he was he just made the claim that the messiah was killed by the church leaders in jerusalem okay so this isn't paul's not trying to make this uh this gospel presentation candy coated to, to help the pill go down sweeter if you know what i mean no if and and he knows it and i think that's maybe one of the reasons why at the end here he says Beware therefore lest what is said in the prophets should come about look you scoffers be astounded and perish for i am doing a work in your days a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you Paul was going to preach the truth whether it stepped on toes or not because he knew the power was in the work the preached and proclaimed gospel it is the gospel that brings people to repentance and the forgiveness of their sins because it is the word of god it is what is what is Romans 10, 17? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. So he's preaching this knowing that there's people who are going to not believe. Okay? Now, verse 42. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told to them on the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy, and they began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, and they were reviling him. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, Are you ready? Oh, oh, we're sorry. Uh, we should have tried to um, preach on the latest Jewish poems to help make the, the, the thing more appealing to you. We care about you. Um, here, let us show you that we care about you. We'll, uh, we'll set up a seeker-driven congregation here in, in Pamphylia, and uh, and uh, we'll give you life tips on how to churn butter and uh, make pottery. No, he didn't do anything with the sword. Paul anticipated that his message would be rejected by some. He knew that, okay? Because we proclaim the gospel, and Jesus said, he sends them out two by two, and if a town won't receive you, you shake the dust off your feet and move on to the next town. You don't sit around trying to shave off the hard edges of the gospel so that it'll be more appealing to people. You go, man, Chris, that seems kind of harsh, yeah, I understand that. If somebody wants to continue in sin and unbelief, wants to continue to resist and scoff at and revile the gifts of God and the gospel, we're not supposed to shave off the hard edges of the gospel to appeal to them at all. That's throwing your pearls to pigs. So let me continue. Okay. Verse 45 again, "...but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy, began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, and they were reviling him. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, "...it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside, and you have judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we're turning to the Gentiles." For so the Lord has commanded us, I have made you a light to the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Let me read that statement again. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. When we look at how the apostles preached the word and how Christianity spread into the pagan world in the first century, they didn't try to make it appealing. They fully expected it, the message to be resisted. And of all places, it was resisted the most in the synagogues, the place where God's word had been preached for, well, centuries in some cities. But Paul anticipated that. And he warned them, don't be like those who the scriptures say, look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I'm going to tell you something you will not believe even if someone tells it to you. That's what's missing in the seeker-driven movement, is, is that there is no real faith in the word of God, none whatsoever. There's no trust there's no bold believing that what god's word says about itself and what it's capable of doing is true instead we've got to help god out oh that poor god up there you know know, jesus is sitting up in heaven wringing his hands going oh i hope somebody makes my gospel appealing to these these pagan americans out there oh i hope somebody has has enough sense to to, to not preach at full strength. Uh, instead, we've got to make it appealing. And I I hope that somebody has an... I, I, oh, man, I just... Please, somebody, go out there and show people we care by preaching about movies. They like movies. <laughs> not at all. The apostles boldly proclaimed the word, and they suffered for it. They were beaten. They were flogged. They were stoned. They were persecuted and murdered for their proclamation of the truth. They knew that those sinners who they were preaching the word to who were dead in trespasses and sins are not neutral towards God. No, not at all. Instead, They are flat out hostile to God, and they hate him with every fiber of their being. And when they hear that God is offering them a full and complete pardon, unilaterally there's nothing that they can do to contribute to it. It's been done for them by God because Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, second person of the Holy Trinity, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, was made man And was crucified for you and for me under Pontius Pilate. And rose again from the dead and ascended into heaven. This is the good news that we proclaim. This is the Christian faith that we proclaim. And there are people who are going to say, I don't want to have nothing to do with that God. I've, I've hated him since I was conceived. And I will hate him until I go to my grave. And our response to them is, so be it. I know that sounds tough. Stop wasting your time on scoffers. Stop wasting your time on people who have thrust aside the word of God and consider themselves unworthy of eternal life. Shake the dust off your feet and stop shaving off the hard edges of the message. Stop trying to make it appealing and preach the word. Tell people about the crucified Jewish man who bled and died for their sins. You preach that, and you call them to repentance. And you know what God the Holy Spirit's going to do? God the Holy Spirit's going to do what God the Holy Spirit does. It's his word. It's his gospel. We can't convert anybody. Let me re- let me reiterate that. I can't convert anybody. You can't convert anybody. People are not converted to Christianity from paganism as a result of our efforts, our trying to make it relevant, our doing this or doing that, not at all. All God the Holy Spirit brings people to repentance and the forgiveness of sins through his word. It's his work, not mine, not yours. We as Christians are called to preach the word, preach the gospel, proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins, and leave the results up to God because you can't make the results any better and I can't either. If they want to persist in sin and unbelief, then let them persist in sin and unbelief, and they can persist all the way to hell. Man, that sounds harsh. I understand that, but you can't convert them, and neither can I. You have to pray for them. You have to pray that God brings them to repentance, because if they are not, then they won't. But the text itself says this, "...that the word of God be spoken first to you since you thrust it aside..." And you judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that You may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing, glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to iconium and the disciples were filled with joy and with the holy spirit what do you do with a pagan world who refuses to hear the gospel refuses to, uh, insists on persisting in sin and unbelief you shake the dust off your feet this is what jesus told us to do he didn't say go out and preach a movie sermon people are not brought to jesus by the way by their decisions god is the one who appoints them to eternal life god is the one who quickens them god is the one who brings them to repentance god is the one who gives them faith to believe the promises not you not me so that's the problem with these movie sermons i think it's it's it shows a complete lack of belief and faith in what god's word says about itself the power of God is not in the movie X-Men. The power of God is in the preached word. We continue.
3: And uh, as Christians, as believers, you know, people today look at us and they, they think, what, what is wrong with those people? And, and yet we know that God has gifted us and given us the answer to change the world and the, the way to change the world. And, and um, Hebrews 13.
0: Uh, no, the Bible's not about changing the world. is about proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins.
3: Verse 20 says this, may the God of peace equip you with everything good for doing his will. And so God has given you these abilities and these gifts and tools. And one of the tools that God has given you is the church. It's so important to know what that's about. You know, if you uh, have a task, you have a job to do, You've got to have the right equipment. And um, for example, you wouldn't try to fly across the Pacific Ocean in a hang glider, right? You would want to be in an airplane. You wouldn't try to play golf with a baseball bat. You wouldn't try to fight a forest fire with a squirt gun. You've got to have the right equipment and you've got to know how to use it. And God has given us the right equipment. He's given us these tools. And one of the tools that God has given you that's so important in your life is the church. All right. First Timothy chapter three, verse 15 says, I want you to know how people who are members of God's family must live. God's family is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of the truth. Now notice that this verse says that the church is God's family. The church is not an institution. It's not. Okay, apparently,
0: uh, we're off topic now. We're no longer talking. I mean, we just started with a little bit of X Men, just enough to prime the pump, and now we're we're off on a different topic. I mean, if you were a pagan, would you feel like you just experienced the bait and switch?
3: Not a business. It's not some kind of religious club, but it's a family. And it also says that the church is the pillar and the foundation. What happens to a building without a solid structure, a solid foundation? It's going to crumble. And when troubles come into your life and problems come into your life, if you don't have a solid foundation in your life, then your life also will crumble when you face pressure from outside. Being a follower of Jesus Christ is so much more than just being a believer. A lot of times when we think of being a Christian, we think it means being a believer. But today, many times people okay. notice what he's doing at this point. He does this quite a lot
0: in the sermon. He just starts throwing out all of these slogans. That's what they sound like. They sound like religious slogans. Uh, Christianity is not just about being a believer. It's about uh, being a follower. It's. The thing is, is that he's not, he's not preaching from a biblical text. He's not actually engaging in exegetical preaching. As a result of it, you're not really hearing Christian doctrine. What you're hearing is purpose-driven doctrine being pr- asserted without it actually being exegeted out of the text. So listen carefully. You're going to hear a lot of these in this sermon. You're going to hear a bunch of slogans, a bunch of things he's just going to throw out. But he's not exegeting a passage. He's, he. slogan, proof text, slogan, maybe not a proof text, slogan, slogan, slogan. And then finally something that sounds something similar in a a biblical passage, but he's not actually doing biblical preaching. He's not. This is, I'm going to preach purpose-driven doctrine, but I'm not going to actually exegete it out of a passage. I'm going to make the assertion and then I'm going to go find a verse to back it up
3: are belongers before they're believers. And so it's important that you have a family that you belong to, and that you can come in and be a part.
0: Got to pause. Got to pause there because I got to back this up. I want you to hear this in context. So I'm going to back it up maybe about 15, 20 seconds. Hear this again.
3: Think of being a Christian. We think it means being a believer. But today, many times people are belongers before they're believers. And so it's important. Okay, this
0: is a critical piece of uh, purpose-driven uh, methodology. Um, one of, the, I mean, th- this is Irwin McManus's ideas. Um, this idea that people uh, belong to uh, a church before they be- they're believers. They begin discipleship before they even believe in Jesus Christ. Th- this is some convoluted stuff here, and uh, th- that's what that phrase. You got to unpack that. That's yeah, that's what that's talking about.
3: That you have a family that you belong to. And that you can come in and be a part of. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19 says, So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You're citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Those who are on the outside have now been brought in and are made a part of a family as brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. And... Today, I believe the church has gotten a very bad rap, and a lot of people, it's kind of cool today to say, well, I like Jesus, I just don't like the church. Have you ever heard that? Maybe you've said that before. I like Jesus, I just don't like the church. Well, the the Word of God says that... the I'm not sure what the center of this this, uh, this sermon is. I, I really don't know. The church is the body of Christ. So it'd be saying, I love Jesus, I don't like the church, is like saying, you know, I like you, I just don't like your body. Or or maybe, uh, you know, the Bible says that the church is the bride of Christ. And so it would be like saying, hey, I really like you, I just don't like your wife, I can't stand her. Well, that, you know, that doesn't go over too well, okay? I I wouldn't try that. Um, You can measure your spiritual maturity and your spiritual depth by how you feel about the church, because, okay, but
0: can you give me a passage that says that That I can, I can tell, I can qualify or quantify my spiritual maturity or depth based upon what I feel about the church. Do you have a passage that says that this is another, this is an assertion made, but he's not exegeting a passage. So we're not hearing biblical theology. The goal of our lives is to be more like Christ and the Bible. Do you have a Bible verse? Do you have a passage that if I were to read it in context that says the goal of my life is to be more like Christ? Do you I mean, he again, assertion, this is a slogan he's just thrown out. It's almost like a bumper sticker uh, you know, slogan, but I, where he's not engaging in exegetical preaching. This I have no idea what he's talking about, where he's getting any of these ideas says that
3: christ loved the church and gave himself up for her he gave his life for the church and um yeah that's true he did you know a lot of people have given up by the way that
0: that's that i should i should play this that's a full-blown gospel nugget right there that's right he loves her and gave his life for the church that was the gospel
3: On the church, a lot of people criticize and attack the church. And I understand that the church has some problems. You know, I'm talking about the church at large, this church as well, but just the church at large, you know, warts and all there's problems. But I tell you what, I love the church. I love God's people. And um, if you don't like the church, you're not going to enjoy heaven very much because do you have a passage in the Bible that says that? That's who's going to be in heaven. okay? other Christians. And so we got to learn to love each other. Yeah, I, again, uh, the, uh,
0: slogans. These are all slogans and assertions. He's not really preaching from a biblical text.
3: Other ...and get along with each other. And so often we undermine the importance of the church, and we think we can just be like a Lone Ranger kind of Christian. Well, that's like... That's like saying, I want to be a part of the NFL, I just don't want to join any particular team. Or I want to be a soldier, but I just don't want to join any particular branch of the armed forces or any particular platoon. Or I want to play the tuba, I just don't want to join an orchestra. Well, good luck with that, because nobody wants to hear you play the tuba on your own. (laughs) The Bible says you belong in God's family. And let me tell you, sometimes we think about uh, the church as a place that we go to. And I'm going to go to church. Well, there's a difference between going to church and belonging and being a part of a church family. Yeah, I'm
0: sure that there is. And there's a big difference between actually
3: preaching God's
0: word, you know, opening up the biblical text and reading it, proclaiming it, digging into it, digging out what it's actually saying. And just randomly pulling a verse out of context here, uh, asserting a slogan there, and then trying to back it up with an out-of-context verse from there, there's a big
3: difference. Church isn't meant to be something that you just attend. It's a family that you're a part of. And I want us today to look... Great, I
0: I, I believe that. Can you actually open up the Bible and
3: show me in context how God's word teaches that and how you can be a part of this team and how you can be a part of the church to that. that, That's all about changing the world. The team.
0: that Again, that really where in the Bible does it say that the church exists to change the world? I don't, I can't think of a single passage that says anything that goofy.
3: God has given you is the church. And God gave you the church to fulfill your life purpose. The reason that. Okay, well, where in the
0: Bible does it say that God gave me the church so that I can fulfill my life purpose? Again, this is a string of slogan after slogan after slogan after slogan. And um, yeah, that's great, Cole. Um, yeah, your job is to preach the word, which means I expect an open Bible, uh, large sections of scripture being read in context. And if this theology is in the Bible,
3: well, then the text itself will show that. He's placed you here on the planet. And the first uh, point, and you can follow along in your connection points, okay, in your worship guide to take some notes. You can also follow along on your mobile device, um, and that address is listed in your connection points. But the first purpose of the church is this. The church helps you to focus on God. I know that many times as we just go through life with all the distractions and all the pressures, it's easy to forget that God is always present in your life. And if you're like me, you can go a long time without focusing on God.
0: Now notice that he's not correctly keying in as to what this problem really is and what the nature of this problem is. Go back to the sermon I played in the first hour, the 12 minute long sermon. If, if, the the pastor at that small, obscure Lutheran church in the middle of Ohio got it right. When you don't call upon God first and you try, whatever it is that you turn to, that's your God. You, you are guilty of idolatry. You are guilty of not loving God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. And, and in fact, you are an idolater and that damns you. Okay? Here, Cole has steered into a similar point. And you know he's you know he's you know okay, but he doesn't see it for what it is—a damnable sin—and he's not preaching it for what it is—a damnable sin. As a result of it, um, there's people who are hearing this, even as watered down as this law is that he's preaching, they're going, "Ooh, yeah, I'm, I haven't done that, or I'm, I, yeah, I, I don't do what I need to do here." In other words, the law is convicting them of their sin. They need to hear the gospel if they're being convicted of a sin that they've committed. They need to hear the gospel applied to that sin. I wonder if we'll hear that in this X-Men sermon.
3: We focus on things that are trivial and things that are unimportant. And the church... This is idolatry. This is a breaking of the first commandment. ...helps us to refocus our attention on what really matters in life, and on what's most important in life. And this is so important that God put it in his top ten list, okay?
0: In the top ten list would be the Ten Commandments. So here we go. The, we're in the Ten Commandments now by Cole's old ambition. But is he preaching the law to kill you, to to expose your uh, your wretched, sinful condition, to strip you of your self-righteousness and drive you to the cross? Listen.
3: In the Ten Commandments, it says in Exodus 20, verse 8, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And it's so important that we make that a priority in our life, in our schedule, and the regular rhythm of life, that we set aside time to worship God.
0: And you do realize that when you've broken this commandment, to remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy, you have earned hell. It's not just an oopsie. It's not like, oh, you know, silly me, I forgot to turn the coffee pot off this morning and, well, the kitchen nearly burned down. <laughs> silly me. <laughs> Whoops. You know, um, when you don't remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, you've actually, con- you've actually committed a damnable sin that will send you to hell. You, you get what I'm saying here?
3: Now, what is worship? It's more than just singing songs. It's more than attending some kind of celebration service. Worship is all about focusing my mind's attention and my heart's affection on God and responding to God. And it can happen anywhere, any place, anytime. Because if you choose to live your life pursuing after Jesus Christ, law, then He will always be with you wherever you go.
0: But if you don't, will he be with you? Because notice he said, pursue him with all of your, then he will be with you. If you do this, then he will do that. That's law. What about the times when I don't pursue Jesus, which is every day? How about the times when you don't pursue Jesus with all your heart? Will he continue to be with you? The law can't comfort you, can it? Because the law is never done. It's never accomplished, not by you. And it's always condemning you for when you don't do it. If your hope is that God's going to be with you if you do this, then, well, you have no hope at all. Because God's not going to be with you because you continue to sin against him flagrantly, daily, and much. By what stretch of the imagination do you think you deserve to have God's be with you at all? You don't keep his top ten list. Not even close.
3: So you can worship him any place that you are. Matthew 22, verse 37. It says, Jesus replied. He said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. That's
0: right, and if you don't, then you're going to hell. By the way, love is not the gospel. Love is law. Love is, not, see, a lot of evangelicals absolutely believe that love is the gospel. It's not. The gospel is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish. But the gospel is not love God and love neighbor. That's the law. And that's the thing that damns you because you don't. You don't love God with all your heart and you don't love your neighbor as yourself. And if you think that you do, Oh, please, let me talk to your co-workers or your spouse, and we'll get this cleared up in like four seconds. I'll
3: tell you what, why don't you help me out with this one, all right? Let's say this together. A lot of volume here. Uh, Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Why is this the most important thing in life? It's because that's why you were created. He makes it sound like it's just so easy to do. All you got to do is apply yourself
0: to a little elbow grease, and there you go. See, ta-da, you're loving God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. By the way, every sin that you commit demonstrates that you do not love God with all of your heart. Every single time you cast his word behind your back and you despise it, and you defy it, and you disobey it, whether it's the things that God has commanded you not to do, or the things that God has commanded you to do, the things that God has commanded you to avoid but you don't avoid, or the things, oh, you you get what I'm saying here? Love the Lord your God with all. It doesn't say some, most, or God's grading on a curve. All, all, all. That's the command, and it's the command that kills you, and it's the command that damns you. Notice he's preaching law here, and he's making it sound so simple. Again, compare it to the sermon that we just heard.
3: That's why God has put you here, to know God and to love God. He made you because he loves you, and he um, wants to pour out his love on your life. And he wants you to respond to him by knowing him and by loving him in return. Just think about that for, for just a moment. God knows everything about you. He knows the good, the bad, and the ugly. And yet, the one who knows you the best loves you the most. How? Can you give me
0: something tangible that I can hold on to that shows me how God loves me? Because His law is, is condemning me at this point.
3: And when you live a lifestyle of worship, here's what's... When you live a lifestyle of worship, law going to happen in your life. It's going to help you because whatever problems you're facing in your life, when you begin to worship God, it's going to give you the right perspective on those problems. When you focus on the, the greatness of our God and how big he is, it's going to bring your problems down to size. Now, I'm not trying to diminish the problems that you face in your life because um, I know there's some significant problems that you might be carrying around. But when you begin to to focus on God, and you realize God is in control, and God can do anything, and God can handle my problems, whatever they are, I know that I can trust him. Now, some people think, well, can't I just worship God on my own? Can't I, why do I need the church to do that? Can't I just worship him anywhere? Yes, we've already said that. You can worship God wherever you are, um, but... I'll tell you this, when you come together, there's something about corporately coming together with other people. And there's power when we gather together for the purpose of worshiping God. You know, some of us, um, you know, when, when the Bible says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, that's kind of what it is. It's, a, it's noise. But when we can come together and we can really worship him, uh, there's power there. And, and sometimes we get up on Sunday morning. So he's going to have a
0: worship break here in the middle of this X-Men sermon. Again, if you're an unbeliever who showed up because, oh, wow, look how relevant Connection Church is there in Kyle, Texas, because they're preaching about X-Men. Are you feeling like uh, your particular pop culture consumption uh, tastes have been fulfilled enough so that you can say this is an X-Men sermon?
3: Or is this a bait and switch? Um, we think, man, I just I want to sleep in. I'm tired. I'm drained. I don't want to go to church today. Have you ever felt that way? You can be honest. Uh, no, we'll write those names down. I see you. Um, no, but but you show up. How many times do you show up and you get pumped up and you get excited and you say, I really needed that today. I really needed that, and and I'm glad I came. And You know, it's funny, but in my life, the times I most don't feel like worshiping God, those are the times that I need to worship Him the most. And and the church is a powerful place to worship God. And the Bible says that when we're in heaven, we're going to be worshiping God for all of eternity. And so uh, I want us right now to have some some worship practice and uh, really just respond to God in worship. Uh, I want us to stand together. I've asked the band to come out. And lead us in this song. And just pour out your heart and there's freedom to respond to God during this time. Let's sing together. Amen. All right. All right. So the church.
0: They did sing. It's just it got cut out.
3: Helps us to focus on God. And then also the second thing it does is the church helps me to face life's problems because the fact is life is tough, okay? I'm not going to uh, try to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to try to uh, make it sound you know better than it is. The fact is life is difficult, and the truth is you were not meant to do it on your own. You're not meant to face life all on your own. We all get discouraged at times, and one of the best ways to get out of a funk is to be around some people who can encourage you and who can lift you up and build you up. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, So encourage each other and build each other up just as you're already doing. We've got to understand the power of encouragement and that we uh, lean on each other we encourage each other in the X-Men movie Sebastian Shaw understood the oh good we're back to the X-Men movie I mean I thought this was going to be a total bait and switch oh man power of our words to encourage um, even though it was for his own purposes Uh, I want you to check out this clip see what I mean
1: good evening my name is Sebastian Shaw and I am not here to hurt you friends there's a revolution coming when mankind discovers who we are what we can do each of us will face a choice be enslaved or rise up to rule choose freely but know that if you are not with us then by definition you are against us so you can stay (laughs) this is an
0: example of encouragement (laughs) This sounds like the kind of encouragement you get from the Gestapo.
1: Fight for the people who hate and fear you. Or you can join me and live like kings.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This is the worst sermon illustration ever. It's like getting encouragement on how to be a you know a fellowship of believers together from Satan himself. Good
3: night. All right, so you know what? That was Kevin Bacon. <laughs> all right, I had to show that. Um, you know, encouragement, the power of our words to encourage. Yeah, that
0: Kevin Bacon character, Sebastian, he is just so encouraging. That, that, that soundbite, that movie clip was just teeming with mafia-type encouragement. That was encouragement, all right. That was like a veiled threat kind of encouragement. It's the kind of encouragement you get from a mafia-don, you know, yeah, now, you know, choose wisely uh, whether or not you're going to pay the money to uh, us to protect you. Because if you don't pay the protection money well, then th- bad things could potentially happen to you, you know? So choose Why wi- I just want to encourage you, you know, choose the, the way to go where you will not be hurt. Yeah,
3: you, get, you catch my drift. Encourage others. Uh, how many of you enjoy uh, camping? You like. It's a little warm right now to go camping, but... Uh, But I I love building a campfire. And it never fails that if you take a a piece of wood from the fire and you place it off by itself, it does not take long for that fire to go out. But you take it, you put it back in, what happens? It'll light back up, right? And the same thing is true in, in our spiritual life as well. When you take yourself and you remove yourself from... Uh, the body from the the church, then it won't take long before your spiritual passion and your spiritual fire begins to go out. And 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 yet, if you come back together, you begin to feel that um, that passion again because we need each other. First Peter three eight says, finally, all of you should be in agreement, understanding each other, loving each other as family, being kind and humble. It says that that we've got to be like a family, okay? That doesn't mean that we always get along, right? It doesn't mean that we always agree, but that's the goal, that we understand each other, that we love each other as as a family, being kind and humble. And it's so important today because our culture is so fragmented and, and, and broken apart. There's very little sense of true community these days. And even though we live in these subdivisions and our homes are so close together, we, what do we do? We go home. Some of us have the garage door openers. If you can get into the garage, um, I haven't been able to accomplish that yet. But nevertheless, we get into our homes and get behind our doors. We're into seclusion, but God is into inclusion. We're a family. We're brothers and sisters. We should care.
0: There's a whole... Again, it's another slogan. I mean, this is like slogan theology. Good night. This isn't exegesis. It's just sloganizing.
3: ...for each other. And we don't just belong to God, but the Bible says that we belong to one another as well. Romans twelve five says, So it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other, how different we would live, how how different our relationships would be if we own that, if we get that, and that's what our connection groups at the Connection Church are all about, and they're so important. Um, connection groups are uh, groups of eight to twelve people who get together once a week in someone's home, and that's where relationships really. Uh, develop and grow where we serve one another, we minister to each other, we grow together. And and it's so important because there's power in those connection groups. And that's our structure for developing relationships. You know, in in a room this size, you can't really turn around to the person behind you and say, hey, let me tell you my biggest problem. I mean, you wouldn't wanna do that anyway. But in someone's home, when you're sitting together, Talking with each other, you can share your biggest concerns with each other, and I can tell you story after story of the power of what has happened in our homes and those relationships. People say, "Well, how what, what size church is too big of a church?" And I say, "It's a church where you don't know other people, where you don't have those significant relationships. You don't have to know everybody." But you need to know a few people, and you do that through connection groups. Now, the way we've been doing this is during the summer, we kind of we, we pull back on our groups.
0: I mean, isn't it amazing that uh, somehow he's found in the movie X-Men a way to launch into a discussion about small group Bible studies? I mean, they, they may not even be Bible studies. They're life groups. They're connection groups. But, you know, you understand what I'm saying.
3: It's a little bit kind of... Uh, to to take another run at it starting in the fall. But today is a day where you can decide, I'm going to make that a priority to be a part of a group. In fact, you can begin to get information about that as well. And you can take your connection card and mark, I want some information about groups and mark that as a decision today to begin to develop some of those relationships. Now's the time to make those decisions. The third thing that the church does is the church helps to fortify my faith. And you've heard this before. If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. We've got
0: to to know. Why is it that you're supporting your main points in your sermon with slogans rather than full texts from the Bible? Not just verses, but I mean, you know, in context, passages of the scripture that bear this out. I'm sure that the Bible teaches that, Cole. Why don't you go to the Bible first and let the Bible teach that and then make the point using what the biblical text says.
3: What matters and what we believe and the church is here to help you strengthen your beliefs and strengthen your convictions to help you figure out what's really important and what really matters in life. They ask me many times, what is God's will for my life? They want to know what is God's will for their life. And we try to make it this complicated, difficult thing. But there's some very clear things in God's word. And, and if I were to put God's will for your life in just two words, I'd say it's this. Grow up. All right? For many of us, we just need to grow up. We've got to grow up spiritually. And it has absolutely nothing to do with how long you've been a Christian. It has everything to do with your spiritual growth and your maturity. And people have a hard time understanding the Bible many times. And, and so that's why at the Connection Church, we say, when you plug in and you connect with this church, we want to help you understand God's Word. And,
0: and not only understand it. Well, Cole, if you want them, if you want to help them understand God's word, don't you think you should like have like a biblical book open and be reading an entire section of it or, you know, make sure that copious amounts of the Bible are handled and dealt with and taught and proclaimed on a weekly basis? I mean, I, we're not hearing the Bible in this sermon. We're just hearing about it. And in and, and some of the points
3: you're making are like tortured at best. It, but be able to apply it to your everyday life so that what we talk about on Sunday, you can put into practice in your life on Monday morning.
0: Now, here we go again. Okay, th- this is a perfect example of this biblical principle reductionism that goes on in the seeker-driven churches. Um, okay, if, okay, again, I'll, I'll use my favorite example, Okay. You read the passage in the Gospel of Luke where the angel Gabriel comes to visit the Virgin Mary and announces to her that the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow her and she's going to conceive and bear a son and is to name him Jesus. And then and Mary says, oh, how can this be since I've never been with a man? Okay, okay so we, we read the passage in the Gospel of Luke that tells us the virgin birth. What is the life application of that passage? Hmm? answer believe what the passage says because the christian church in all of its creeds confesses that god's word is speaking the truth here that the virgin did conceive and bear a son and his name is jesus which means savior the application there, there's nothing for you to apply on monday here I and mean, this this isn't going to help you with your relationships at work it isn't going to help you in your relationships uh, at home um, even with your friends, or maybe even the, you know distant acquaintances, this is for you to believe. That's
3: the application, and begin to to live out what God's word says for your life, and live out God's will. Again, how do you
0: live out the announcement of that the virgin is going to be with child? Hmm? Not all, all not all scripture it can be applied that way. It, the Bible isn't a flat book of rules. It's not like a bunch of you know cookie cutter uh, Confucius you know fortune cookie sayings. There are some passages of Scripture that teach theology that is to be believed and proclaimed, and there's some p- parts of the Scripture that teach us things that we ought to avoid, or things that we should uh, flee towards, or things that we should do, and some things we ought not to do. But each section of scripture has to be handled correctly so that the theology is believed and the laws that are are there are, you know, they get applied in that sense. You can't reduce the Bible down to everything that you, you know, you can't apply certain parts of it. You get what I'm
3: saying? For your life, Ephesians three ten says God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display His wisdom. The church is here to display God's knowledge and His wisdom. And um, in this movie, X Men First Class, uh, Charles. Now we're back to the movie. Charles Xavier he sets out to to create a training school, a training camp for his young mutants to harness the power of their special gifts because they understand that even though they have a gift it's got to be fanned into flame it's got to grow and they've got to learn how to use it so check this
1: they're just kids no they were kids shaw has his army we need ours we'll have to train we can't stay here we've got nowhere to go yes we do this is yours no it's ours
2: come on time for the tour
1: you know when i do this bad things tend to happen it's because you can't control it it controls you that's why we're here alex that's why we're training (laughs) this it's like any other muscle in the body you can control it try higher frequency much higher All sure, right, Alex. I want you to hit the X and try not to hit me. That's a good chap.
2: You're serious.
1: I'm very serious. I have complete and utter faith in you.
3: <laughs> I love that where they say uh, they say this is yours. No, this is what this is. He says this is ours, and that's what the Connection Church is. This is a place for growth. This is ours together to grow in our understanding of who God is and what his purpose and his plan is for our life. And um, at the Connection Church, we have a process in place. We, have, we just started a new, a, a new uh, Fresh Start class. And, and Fresh Start is all about new believers or people who say, you know, I've been away from following God for a long time and to, now I want to begin to lay a foundation, a solid foundation. And Javier Castillo is leading that right now on Thursday nights. But, um, you can sign up for that, um, by marking your card and, and putting fresh start. Uh, and we'll get you some information about that class. Um, we also have a class called connection one Oh one, and it's all about being a member of the connection church. And, um, And and you can find out more about our our, uh, purpose and our story and our strategy through Connection 101 and what it means to be a member of the Connection Church. And you can mark that today and say, that's my next step. Or it could be uh, that you're ready for Connection 201, and that's all about how to grow spiritually and talking about the tools that you need to grow to maturity. And, And then 301 is all about discovering and developing your shape for ministry and the way that you're designed to minister and what ministries at the connection church you can be involved in. And the thing is, some of us, we think, well, I, um, I have to sort of do this on my own. You know, it's sort of, you know, work yourself up and I'm going to grow spiritually by myself. No, you know, people think that you have to become a monk and join a monastery to be the most spiritual. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus was with people. And if you're off by yourself, you can't grow relationships that way. You can't learn to love others when you're by yourself. You can't reach out to others when you're by yourself. You grow spiritually by living out your faith in a family of Christ followers. So that's all about growth. But then also, the church helps me to find my ministry And God has created you uniquely for what he wants you to do with your life. Notice this is just purpose-driven
0: doctrine down the line, but he's not digging this out of a biblical text. Again, he's just preaching it slogan style. The Connection
3: Church, we call the way God has created you, your shape. Your shape stands for five unique aspects of who you are. The S stands for spiritual gifts. Every... Christian, when they become a Christian, the Bible says that you receive or are given a spiritual gift that's a special ability given to you by God. It's just like the X Men. You can be like Wolverine. The H stands for your heart, that's your passions, the things that really fire you up and motivate you and interest you. Um, The A is for your natural abilities that that you were born with, Um, the P is for personality your personality, style, and E is for your life experiences. Because we have all we all bring different experiences to the table. Some of them are good and some of them are bad. But no matter what they are, God wants to use those experiences to make a difference through your life and through your ministry. That God never wants to waste any of those experiences, but he wants to use them. They're-
0: Got any Bible passages that say any of this?
3: they're not just random. In fact, all of those five factors are not just random chance. They are designed by God to make you who you are. And in the movie, the X-Men, the thing that makes each of them uh, different is that they have certain unique abilities like this guy, Hank McCoy. He's a young scientist and he's got some special talents that he's about to show off right here. Hank, these are the special new
2: recruits I was telling you about. This is Hank McCoy. How wonderful! Another mutant
0: already here.
1: Why didn't you say?
0: Say what? Because you don't know. I mean, do you really think the spiritual themes in uh, in Wolverine? In, 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 sorry, not Wolverine, but in X Men: The First Class, that the the real spiritual themes are all about small groups finding your shape and uh, at all and in your purpose. And yeah,
2: oh man. I am so, so terribly
1: sorry. Hank, didn't ask, so I didn't tell. So your mutation is what? You're super smart. I'll say. Hankie graduated Harvard at the age of fifteen. I wish that's all it was. You're among friends now, Hank. You can show off. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) The. You're amazing. <laughs> really?
3: And and when we began to, to stop hiding our abilities, but we begin to... Yeah, because you're just
0: like one of the X-Men. You're just like one of the mutants. To,
3: to show them and reveal them and use them, then you're also amazing. Um, yeah. You've been given these talents not for yourself, not to... Uh, make yourself successful or to make a lot of money, but you've been given these talents to make a big difference with your life. And when you learn to use who you are and how you're designed to make a difference in Jesus' name, to help others, that is ministry. So often we think that ministry is just for the professional pastors, but it's not. It's for every Christ follower. Not everybody's a pastor, but everyone is a minister. And Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Now, isn't that weird that he's
0: quoting Ephesians 2.10, but he skipped the whole, I mean, the whole thrust of that is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, which says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, so that no one may boast, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. It always just stuns me when a Christian pastor from a Christian pulpit will quote Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, and completely skip, omit, not talk about not think it's relevant or important or even part of it uh, you know the part about being saved by grace through faith because not everybody is quote god's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to go- to do good works but only those who are saved who have faith you get what i'm saying here <laughs> by m- misquoting the passage you might actually uh, cause an unbeliever, somebody who's dead in trespasses and sins, to think, oh, wow, I'm God's workmanship. I, uh, I'm i created in Christ Jesus because I'm a masterpiece. Wow. Oh, Of course I always thought I was a masterpiece. I mean, look at me after all. I'm so amazing. You, you get what I'm saying here?
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, Christian sanctification is always hooked to, inextricably hooked to the cross. You can't, can't, can't really talk about true Christian sanctification apart from the cross. To do so is to preach a different religion and a different gospel altogether.
3: God has planned how he wants you to serve, um, and he wants you to live that out. And my job as your pastor is to help you be successful in your life and in your ministry, and that's what I love to do, to help you uh, grow and to help you find the sweet spot of why you were made. And and I have to brag on this one couple, some new friends of mine who last week, they actually attended the church. They came to the church and they were serving in the cafe in the first service before they ever came to the, the worship service in the second service. I mean, these were people that they didn't come from another church. They just came in and they said, I'm here to make a difference and I'm here to serve. There's no waiting period. And they proved that. There's no waiting period for how long you have to be here before you begin to jump in and serve. We have on-the-job training. And yeah, the best take, way to find
0: they'll out... They'll take volunteers anytime
3: yeah Now, what it is you were designed to do is to try some things out, to jump in and serve. Serving is the fast track to spiritual growth. And the secret to having a positive view of yourself isn't to make a secret to having a positive view of myself, oh man, a lot of money or to experience a lot of success, the way the world defines success, the secret of being is, is being who God made you to be and doing what God created you to do. So this morning you might say, I want to begin to serve and you can mark that on, on your card to say, I want to serve on a ministry team and we'll help you find a place for you to serve. And then the fifth and final thing is the, this, that the church helps us fulfill our life mission. We're not here to be consumers. We're here to be contributors, to make a difference. We're not here just to take up space. We're here to fulfill our life mission. The reason that you were born... I'm, now, I'm sure the Bible
0: teaches this, but can you actually, like in context, show me in the scriptures where this particular doctrine is clearly, unequivocally... Uh, taught
3: born, and when you begin to fulfill that life mission, all of a sudden life begins to make sense in a brand new way, and until you start to do that, life is not going to uh, fit life is not going to really make a lot of sense, but when you commit your life to Christ, you are given a mission to fulfill, and that mission is called the great commission acts twenty twenty four Paul said this he he understood this he said, my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work that's assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. He said, my life is worth nothing unless I tell others about Jesus. And there's nothing greater you can do with your life then introducing someone else to Jesus Christ. You say, well, I don't really know how. You, you don't really even have to know how. What you have to do is say, here's what God has done in my life. Here's the
0: difference. Okay, now listen to this carefully because this is not, not, not how we're to do evangelism. This is the exact wrong way to do it. Let me back this up. Listen carefully. Here we go.
3: Nothing greater you can do with your life then introducing someone else to Jesus Christ. You say, well, I don't really know how. You, you don't really even have to know how. What you have to do is say, here's what God has done in my life. Here's the difference he's making in my life. And no one can argue with your own experience. But Did
0: you hear that? No, it's just... That's not sharing the
3: gospel, by the way. Uh,
0: there's people whose lives have been changed by Alcoholics Anonymous. There's people whose lives have been changed by uh, Mormonism, by Islam. Now, there's people who were flat-out drug users, strung out on drugs, and, and they found Buddhism. And as a result of it, Buddhism has made a big difference in their life. But you can't—did you hear what he said? You see, nobody can argue with your experience. The point is is that Christianity is true, first and foremost, before it's helpful. If you're preaching a Christianity that's helpful for life change, but it's not, it doesn't really matter if it's true or not, then who cares where you get the help? It doesn't matter if you become a Buddhist. It doesn't matter if you become a Muslim. It doesn't matter if you become a Jew. It doesn't matter if you become a Hare Krishna or a follower of that guy who claims to be Jesus down in Australia. I'm sure the folks that are part of his cult have experienced life change. But your experience and my experience is not the gospel. The gospel is the proclamation that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and for mine. He suffered under Pontius Pilate and on the third day he rose bodily from the grave. If that didn't happen, then Christianity doesn't matter where the hill of beans because it's false. So no, preaching your life change is not sharing the gospel. It's not.
3: But the other thing you can do is invite them. Use the Connection Church as a resource to invite people to come and hear a message that will introduce them to Jesus Christ. By the... well, like this X-Men sermon? Really,
0: I I don't feel like, um, again, correct me if I'm wrong, Cole, but isn't the whole purpose of you preaching these sermons so that you can be relevant and, uh, and draw a crowd so that you can, quote, introduce people to Jesus? Well, when are you going to get around to it in this sermon, to actually introducing them to Jesus? I mean, if Jesus had showed up to this uh, particular sermon of yours, he's still waiting on the wing in the wings off on the side of the stage waiting for you to actually introduce him. You haven't done it yet.
3: The way on that, this is a great crowd this morning and I want to encourage you next week when you come back next week, you might want to come to the early service, make a little more room in here. We are having so many new guests and it's an exciting time at the Connection Church. And let me tell you this, there's nothing greater in life Then if you can imagine the day when you're standing in heaven and someone comes up to you and says, I am here because you cared enough. You cared enough to make a difference in my life. Cared enough to extend an invitation. Cared enough to reach out. Cared enough to give. And at the Connection Church, we like to give to see mission work happen all over the world. And uh, right here in our community. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. And this week at Mega Sports Camp, that's what it's about. It's about reaching out to our
0: community. You're now giving a commercial for the Mega Sports Camp? Why don't you stop talking about Jesus and actually introduce us to him? Hmm? I mean, you, 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 you kind of mention him here and there, sort of, sort of kind of mention the things that he's done, but you don't actually get around to truly introducing us to Jesus. Can you
3: give, tell me more about the Jesus guy? To the kids, but also to their families, to reach out in Jesus' name, to tell them that they can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But Romans ten fourteen says, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? Right. So why don't you preach more about him right now? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? If we don't reach out, how can they believe? And there are people in your life that if no, you... No,
0: no, no. If we don't preach, how can they believe?
3: If you don't reach out to them, they will never hear. You're, you're the best um, example of Jesus that someone's ever going to see. Example. Oh, you might be the only Jesus someone meets. You might be the only Bible someone ever reads. <laughs>
0: well, in that case, they're damned, because I'm a sinner.
3: And let me tell you, there, that that's what the church is about. It's about fulfilling these five purposes in your life. And, and, and if you don't get those from a church, there's no place on earth that you're going to get those. those. And, and today, you need to say... And ask yourself, is this the place? Is this the place where I can grow, where I can give, where I can serve, where I can worship? Well, based on this sermon, the answer is just a clear no. Where I can reach out to people and fulfill my life mission. And if this is the place, then I want to encourage you to make a commitment today to say, this is where God has led me, that I'm not here by accident, and I want to invest my life right here in this place. Maybe this isn't the place. If if not, then, then I want to encourage you to find that place, find that church
0: home. Yeah, I encourage you to find a place where the pastor actually preaches the word, opens up the Bible and exegetes the text, rather than rattles off a, a list of seeker driven slogans and uh, and considers that to be biblical preaching. Where he thinks that you know somehow playing a few movie clips is synonymous with uh, you know, the, the deeper work of actually teaching the biblical text. Yeah, nothing could be further from the truth. So, yeah, I'm sorry, but the Connection Church, even though uh, Cole does on a regular basis make a point of teaching the gospel as a major point in his sermons, the rest of the stuff that he's doing in this particular sermon kind of undermines all of that and makes it a moot point. You need to be taught the full counsel of the word of God, and it needs to be done soberly, exegetically, and with a proper handling of God's text, not slogan style, because slogans are, well, that's not the same as preaching the text.
3: But let me warn you, you're not ever going to find a perfect church, all right? If you're looking for a perfect church, um, don't join it, okay, because you'll just mess it up, because none of us are perfect. The church is made up of imperfect people. But when you find a place that you can call your home, then make that commitment. And we not only make the commitment to God, but we make that commitment to each other. Let me just remind you of this in closing. The church is so important because it will outlast anything else you do in your life. It's the most significant Cue, sappy music. thing that you can do in your life because the church is eternal and the Connection Church is committed to making a difference here and around the world. And someday we believe all of our effort and we know all of our effort will be rewarded because we're making a difference for eternity. Because I believe that the way Kyle and Buta goes is the way that Hayes County will go. And the way Hayes County will go is the way Austin will go. And the way Austin goes, so goes our state And then so goes our country, and so goes our world. But it all starts right here, right now. And I promise you this, if there was something better and more significant that I could do with my life, then I would do it. But I challenge you, you can't show me something greater. Because God has placed us here in this moment, and it takes every one of us to come together to work, to change the world in Jesus' name. Let's pray together.
0: So there you have it. Um, uh, well, a sermon kind of, sort of, ish, uh, well, it had a couple of movie, uh, clips from the movie X-Men, uh, the first class, um, yeah, it, I I don't see what's relevant about this at all. I mean, as far as preaching goes, this is just a complete and utter failure. I mean, these guys claim that they're not compromising the gospel, but I don't see how it is that they can make that claim. It's clear based upon their preaching that they are regularly biffing the uh, the text. They're big they're biffing everything. And uh, what gets lost, clear proclamation of Christ and him crucified for our sins and uh sound biblical teaching, the full counsel of the word of God and well, we got a lot of slogans and some, you know, some nice movie clips. I mean, one of them was like, "iffy." I mean, at best. Um, yeah, none of this makes any sense. This is not what the apostles did. This is not the, the keep in mind, the apostles were trained by Jesus on how to do evangelism. Okay? Um uh, the, the model that uh, Paul and Barnabas used, even though Barnabas was not a, a, a disciple of Jesus in the sense that he was um, you know, sat at Jesus's feet and traipsed around the Judean countryside yet the model he followed is the model that Jesus actually taught the apostles sent them out two by two told them to go and proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins and if people won't listen you shake the dust off your feet and move on that's exactly what they did there was no point in making it relevant you're proclaiming the gospel to sinners and some people are just gonna scoff at you mock you and whatever and you can't that's just what they're gonna do and you know what ends up happening when you try to please those folks is that you end up changing the message so that it's not offensive to them. And well, they're never confronted with their sins and brought to the for- forgiveness of their sins based on what Christ has done from on the cross. So, I mean, they're not really hearing the biblical text. They're not being challenged by what the Bible really teaches in context. Instead, uh, they just continue on their merry way and you've baptized their own intuitive religion that they have internally or the the spirituality, spirituality of the culture. But you haven't brought people to the cross. You haven't brought them to repentance and the forgiveness of their sins. And as a result of it, the kingdom of God really hasn't grown at all. And all of this is done, by the way, in the name of evangelism. Yeah, makes no sense to me whatsoever. Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith, this is listener-supported radio, and that means we truly depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions, to continue to bring this radio outreach to you and to the world. You can partner with us. It's a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on one of the friendly yellow buttons, and uh, thank you for supporting us, especially during the lean summer months. Of course, if you would like to make a contribution via mail, you can do so by making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send that to post office box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, so, uh, yeah, uh, what uh, would you think? Um, were you um, Did you grow in your understanding of the Bible and Christ as a result of this God-on-film movie from, about the X-Men? You can send me your feedback. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, Pirate Christian. Until tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, is by Carrie's death on the cross for all of your sins, all of your sins. That's the thing. Amen. All right, we'll see you then.